what I discovered is between every action and reaction, we need thoughtful contemplation, but many business owners and leaders don't do that. There, there's something that happens and we react our gut instinct. I found that this isn't serving entrepreneurs and business leaders well because while we're biologically wired into ourselves, like if I'm walking down a dark alley and I feel like some harm is going to come upon me, I should turn around because I am biologically wired into me. So my gut instinct is very valuable there. But our business, we're not wired into it, yet many of us just simply say, trust our gut. And that's the wrong move. So Fix This Next is a really simple tool or compass, if you will, to move in the exact direction your business needs. Do you want your business to grow faster? Are you open to new and out-of-the-box ways to drive revenues and increase value? How do you imagine the most successful entrepreneurs and business leaders double, triple, or expand their businesses tenfold or more? The answer is deals. This is a weekly podcast featuring conversations with business owners, executives, and leaders as we reveal behind-the-scenes details that give you, our listeners, the confidence to pursue your own deal-driven growth. On the show, we discuss a huge variety of deals, everything from large complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My name is Corey Kupfer, and I've been supporting deal-driven growth for businesses for 35 years as a successful entrepreneur, professional negotiator, and attorney. My goal is to help you strategize, plan for, find, and complete deals that will help your company grow faster. Welcome to the Deal Quest Podcast. Let's get started. Michael McCallowitz is the author of Profit First, Clockwork, Surge, The Pumpkin Plan, and his newest release, Fix This Next. By his 35th birthday, Mike had founded and sold two companies, one to private equity and the other to Fortune 500. Today, he is running his third multi-million dollar venture, Perfect First Professionals. Mike is a former business columnist for the Wall Street Journal and former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Over the years, Mike has traveled the globe speaking with thousands of entrepreneurs and is here today to share the best of what he has learned. DealQuest listeners, I am so excited to have Mike Michalowicz on the podcast. We've had some really great guests on this podcast, but I got to tell you something. I've been following Mike's work for a while. I am a uh, I don't say that I'm a devotee to many things, but I am a prophet's first devotee. I'd probably turned on a hundred people to, you know, to read his book. Mike, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Well, Corey, I'm excited to be here and thanks for spreading the word on Profit First. I appreciate you. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I love all your work, but uh, I mean, that's really made a big difference for me. And I coach and mentor a lot of entrepreneurs and I say, hey, you know, you got to run your business on profit first. But we're here much more today to talk about, you know, your newer book. So we'll get there. But before we go into that and what you're doing now, I want to take you back. And when you were a little kid growing up, 8, 10, 12 years old, what did you want to be? Because my guess is a serial entrepreneur and best-selling author and, you know, all the stuff you're doing now might not have been on the no. list at that time, but you tell me. No, not even close. No, I had a very clear vision. I wanted to be a garbage man. I really did. I still kind of pine to try that out. It's, uh, it looks so cool to hang off the back of a truck and like you're throwing stuff around and maybe discovering cool things. You're outside. I missed out on that. But I actually, if there's an opportunity to do a day, like if someone says, hey, you can do a run with us for a day, I would love to actually do that. Oh, so that's, that's amazing. My grandfather was actually a, a garbage man. And that's, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, so I come from that stock. And uh, whatever memory comes to mind, what, what was your first deal of any type? Well, okay. first deal I remember, I was like 14 years old. I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this. And uh, my sister was actually 15 because my sister is 16 years older than me. She was legal to buy alcohol. So, you know, that's where you start. Some people start playing around with uh, beer and stuff as a freshman in high school. Of course, my sister had to get me some booze and I sold it. 
to other <laughs> students. So it became my first entrepreneurial venture. Oh, I love it. I love it. Alcohol resale. When I was in college, I was the beer, I, I was one of the student beer distributor reps on campus and everybody who wanted to get kegs of beer on my side of campus had to go through me. So, uh, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was, a, it was a really great entrepreneurial venture for me as well. So, Mike, let's jump right in yeah. to, uh, you know, the, the new book and, you know, what you're talking about now. And I've had a chance to check it out and listen to you on some other stuff. And, you know, there's this whole discussion of uh, a Maslow-type hierarchy of needs yeah. for entrepreneurs. And so, uh, you know, let's jump in there. What's the meat of the new book? Well, I'll tell you how it came about because I think that gets the essence of it. I have a list of readers. I still operate businesses today and I'm always curious what entrepreneurs are facing. So I emailed my readership and said, what's the biggest challenge you have now? This is about five years ago. It takes me about five years to write a book. And uh, the response came back, but what was interesting is I made a mistake. I double sent that email twice in a row. (laughs) And uh, some people answered on the same day about the question, what's your biggest challenge you're facing now with different answers. In the same day, their biggest challenge in their business shifted. It's like, uh uh-uh. That's what identified what I really believe is the biggest challenge. And the biggest challenge that business owners have is knowing what their biggest challenge is. We're constantly putting out fires. So I wrote Fix This Next to very quickly pinpoint exactly what you need to work on within your business. And it's based upon an interpretation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Yeah, so that's great. So let's get into that a little more because I'm really resonating with this new content as I have with your past content. You know, being in the entrepreneurial world, I mean, I've yeah. been an entrepreneur since I'm 15 and it's, you know, it's where my clients are and being around the entrepreneurial organization network. I mean, it's just where I swim. And it, I think it's so true. I mean, you know, there's this conversation of hustle as an entrepreneur and, yeah. you know, and a lot of people live sort of that hustle life and they're in reaction to, you know, everything that's going on. So Let's talk about that a little more and how do people uh, do it a better way? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of hustle and grind. Honestly, if someone's been you know, grinding and hustling in their business for over a year, they've proven that that model does not work for growth because you're right. really stuck in the trap. We have to be very thoughtful. We have to design the outcomes we want, meaning have clarity on where the business needs to go and then organize our resources to get there. That's our job. So the business heart you needs is effectively the DNA for a company. It's the makeup of businesses. And when you peel back this, the outer skin of a business, almost every business is identical. And uh, there's five foundational levels. And like Maslow's hierarchy, the foundational levels not being addressed, we have to revert to serving that first. Like building a building, you know, if you have a five-story structure, you don't put the fifth story up in thin air because it'll collapse to the ground. You have to build the foundation first. Right. So the five levels are as follows. The foundational level is sales. And uh, sales is the creation of cash. If you have no sales, you have no business whatsoever. So you've you got to keep that oxygen, if you will, flowing into the business. Well, the next level above that is profit. Profit is the creation of stability for an organization. No profit and your business is on extremely shaky ground. I mean, actually, sadly, I have a friend who had a $250 million business. That was their annual revenue. Everyone I knew was so impressed by his achievements, myself included, until they had one bad move and the business collapsed because they weren't, they didn't have a profit model and the business went under overnight. You know, they employed hundreds and hundreds of employees. It was devastating to them. And uh, the lesson that came out of that is you can have a massive foundation of sales, one that can support skyscraper, but if you put a tool shed of profit above it, that profit will collapse within it and the business is not there. So that second level is profit. It must work in relation with sales. You must have adequate profit. Above that is order. Order is a creation of efficiency. And the ultimate asset test is where a business can run it without the owner themselves. You know, if, if I can leave my business and it continues to grow, then I have a business that doesn't need me and I have a business 
that's the ultimate business because now it's a cash ATM. And if I so choose, I can reinsert myself in the way I want in my business and do what I like to do, or I can, you know, the business can become acquired and there's tremendous value because people want turnkey businesses. Once you have that, the next level up is called impact. Impact is the creation of transformation. And what I mean by that is many businesses are in the business of transactions. Some businesses are in the business of transformation where their transactions are more about less about the commodity and more about how they're serving people's lives, changing people's lives. One example I use like Harley Davidson, you can buy a motorcycle from many providers, but you buy a Harley Davidson, your life becomes transformed. You're now part of the family. It has meaning. Yes. You're a weekend warrior. And then the highest level is uh, legacy. What I found so fascinating about my research of business owners that are, have implemented this or have achieved this level is that when the business starts focusing on legacy, the business owner has a realization and the realization is profound. They were never a business owner in the first place. They've been a business steward. What I mean by that is that they've had a function they had to serve of bringing this business to life, but it's more about the entity, the business itself, than their involvement in it. They're actually insignificant in the big picture. It's about the business doing what it needs to do. And so they kind of release it into time and space for it to continue on to be of service in their absence. Now, the one thing I want to share about this hierarchy is it is not something that we climb like a ladder. It's something that we will bounce around. You know, right now, as we're recording this, you know, there's a massive pandemic, there's a economic collapse. And um, what this means is for many businesses, what we were selling before isn't selling anymore. And maybe we were working at the transformational levels of impact and legacy, but now maybe we need to refocus on our business and reinvent ourselves, create new sales of stuff that's relevant to the current times. So all businesses of all sizes will live within this hierarchy and always move around up, down at different times based upon what's going on. That totally makes sense. And, and, and listeners, you know, Mike already uh, talked a little bit how this impacts deals in that, you know, the ability to uh, build that company that runs without the owner and build enterprise value separate from the efforts of the owner and have that company be saleable. You know, the other thing that uh, we always talk about is, uh, you know, I always say, listen, too many companies do not take advantage of deal-driven growth, but you need to have sales first. <laughs> you need to have you know, you need to be able to sell a service or product before you, uh, I mean, unless you, you just like a roll-up company, you know, a funded company that's uh, right. you know, created to buy other companies, but 99% of the companies out there need to have sales. But everything that you talk about, the ability to create this, you know, this, this company legacy, et cetera, is also what gets you prepared to be able to do other types of deals, whether it's acquisitions or joint ventures or strategic alliances, because it takes capacity. It takes, you know, everything it takes to be able to run a, uh, a bigger business and grow and not, you know, have it fall apart as you, as you scale is the same thing it takes to do deals. Yeah, yeah. And it takes reputation. And that's what happens at these high levels. Like, so, you know, we're actually looking to do acquisitions ourselves right now because this is a buyer's market. There's a lot of businesses that sadly are throwing in the towel or said, you know what, I don't want to navigate another challenging period. I'm ready to have my exit. Yes. Well, the ones with, with a powerful brand, which often happens, like everyone on this planet knows Harley Davidson. And even if you've never driven a motorcycle, like I never have, I know the brand, I know what it means and stands for. That's the definition of legacy. Is there this global awareness? And it causes this tribe too, like, you know, I'm in or I'm out, but I know what it means. And that, that's powerful because that company, when it acquires another company, it now brings the brand to that acquisition target they have. There's power in that. And so we're actively looking to acquire small businesses here because they may not have brand recognition, but they got great tools or systems that we can benefit from. And we then put our brand on top of it. Profit First being a pretty recognized brand now in the small business space. We put our brand on top of that. Well, now it brings a degree of exposure that they have never had before. It becomes a real win-win for us. 
Totally, because that brand becomes a value multiplier from day, you know, from day yeah. one. Uh, you know, n- not only in the deal space, if you wanted to resell it, which is not really, I think, what you're looking to do, but also, obviously, in terms of the uh, ability to grow organically because of the uh, of the brand recognition. Let me ask you one follow up question on that, and then I want to go back to you know. Uh, all the other great content in this new book, uh, Fix This Next. You know, in terms of brands, the conversation of brand has really, I think, changed mm. over the years. And certainly in recent times, you know, I think maybe when you and I were growing up, the way uh, a lot of t- a lot of the ways that a company developed a brand was by doing a lot of TV advertising. Yeah, sure, advertising, sure. Right? Yeah. And, and it was just sort of, you know, repetition and getting the message out there, whatever. And I believe, you know, there's a, one of my highest values is authenticity. And I believe that there's been a requirement that's come much more in the market for brands to be more authentic and not to yeah. just say a lot of stuff and yes. uh, have, really have that model back it up. So yeah, I'd love to get your, your thoughts on that. So my thought is the brands of yesteryear was built about, around awareness and awareness was achieved yeah. through frequency, right? The more frequently a name got in front of me, the more aware I was, even if I didn't have experience around it. Now brands are built through reputation because how I hear from a brand is not, the, you know, it used to be you sit in front of the television watching Gilligan's Island or something, and then it goes to commercial break and you hear the same message over and over again. So they achieve frequency. Now it's through all these different inputs. So now when I hear of a brand, if 15 or 20 people say it to me through social media or whatever way we're communicating, that is the new form of exposure. So there's like these little mini individual commercials, but they're also backed with people's experience, right? So someone says, you know, I use such and such and I love it is different than that company saying, use our product, use our product. The new form of branding is really reputation. Do you have a reputation for excellence? And uh, you don't even need a massive community. Small brands can build reputation and have awareness built very quickly just because they are providing in an excellent form, in an excellent way, high quality or high degree of integrity or other elements. That's a, that's a blend. So your reputation truly precedes you as a brand today. Yeah, no question. And listen, on the flip side, it's uh, you know it's also on the uh, extreme now that if you misstep, if you're a Shake Shack and you take $10 million on the PPP oh, program, which you can argue, I did a video on this, which you could argue to some extent they were, if they didn't miscalculate the uh, pushback, to some extent, they were sort of ethically obligated to take free money, you know, or cheap money from the government for their shareholder value. But the reason it was a misstep is they totally <laughs> anticipate the pushback, the blowback that came, and then they quickly made a decision otherwise. So on the other side, it's it's a different ballgame than it used to be as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's how quickly the word spreads around. So yeah, I heard of the Shake Shack situation, and it really, that could be a death blow to them because now they're seen as greedy mongers. Now, if you look at at a logical basis, they actually have an obligation to take that money just as much as any other business because it's the same footing, right? If they don't take it now, they have a $10 million disadvantage. So technically it was the right move, but when it comes to your reputation, brand awareness now, you know, what brands are stuck are based on is reputation. It's a devastating move. So I think the CFO made the right move. The CMO made the totally wrong move. Right. Maybe the CMO wasn't even involved. And, and I think it may be a devastating move for them. Yeah, no, that's an interesting way to put it. Let's take a break from the show for a minute so I can invite you to join our DealQuest DealMakers community and our upcoming Zoom event, Conversation, Connection, and Cocktails. We're doing this every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and you can sign up at coreycupfer.com slash CCC event. That's coreycupfer.com slash CCC event. You'll have a chance to engage with other business owners, leaders, and executives to hear more from them about their greatest challenges and most effective strategies for growth in these challenging times. Now back to the show. 
So, Mike, um, listen, let's talk a little bit more about Fix This Next. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who is going to read it just because it's your book and I read it. <laughs> but for those readers, who, uh, those listeners who are maybe uh, a little less familiar with you, whatever, sure, you know, in addition, tell us what else, who it's targeted to. I mean, it's entrepreneurs, you know, anybody more specifically. And then also what else in addition to this high record needs uh, that they're going to get out of the book? Yeah, I dare say this is the best work of my life. I, I really, really assessed what this challenge was. And what it's targeted toward is any business owner or leader who feels that they're in the business of putting out fires, mm-hmm. that we have this kind of recurring Groundhog's Day where we come in with a plan to work that morning or nowadays at home, but we go into email and it just repeats over and over. Crisis management. If you feel you're in crisis management, that this book is for you. Or any business that's hit a ceiling, like you know, we hit a revenue ceiling or we can't hire employees or we just, we seem to get stuck and, and have a recurring pattern. That's what I wrote the book for. And uh, what I discovered is between every action and reaction, we need thoughtful contemplation, but many business owners and leaders don't do that. There, there's something that happens and we react by our gut instinct. I found that this isn't serving entrepreneurs and business leaders well, because while we're biologically wired into ourselves, like if I'm walking down a dark alley and I feel like some harm's going to come upon me, I should turn around because I am biologically wired into me. So my gut instinct is very valuable there. But our business, we're not wired into it yet. Many of us just simply say, trust our gut. And that's the wrong move. So Fix This Next is a really simple tool or compass, if you will, to move in the exact direction your business needs. If you want to know the one thing you need to do, it's going to be within that business hierarchy of needs. And in the book, I have a a simple series of questions. It's about 25 questions that you can very rapidly evaluate where you are. And uh, it's not just a sales problem as an example. Within sales, there's these different elements that make up all businesses. There's, of course, prospecting and conversion. There's a thing called lifestyle congruence that so many people miss out on and other elements. And you just evaluate starting at the base up, just like you would in the Maslow's hierarchy, see what needs are in that level of sales and then profit and so forth that have gone unsatisfied. And then once you identify when it's unsatisfied, the system makes you identify which one becomes the most vital need. And now you concentrate your efforts on resolving the one thing. There's always multiple elements going on. So while you focus on sales, you have to have some degree of order. You know, you have to have it organized to, in some degree. Uh, you can't ignore profit. But the thing is, we don't put equal treatment to each category. Keep the other things in the ballpark, but we concentrate our efforts on resolving that foundational need, really fix it so we can build upon it. So it will sequence what you need to do when. Love that. So listen, you mentioned the lifestyle congruence uh, concept, and I really want to get into this because I've heard you talk about it. I see it in the book. And to me, I sort of got on a little um, you know, rant at some point uh, a couple of years ago where, you know, in the, in the um, and I don't, it's not usually my style, but, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, there's always this uh, push to, you know, grow and scale and, you know, yeah, and yeah. do all this stuff. And, and I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I, you know, I love, I look to scale my business, but a lot of times it comes from, in my mind, sort of the, the wrong place, right? And people, yeah. you know, whether it's ego, whether it's outside, forces, whether it's you know, whatever, and they get to a place where they built this big business and they're totally, you know, <laughs> their life is a mess, so they're totally unhappy. Yeah. And for me, I sort of wanted to redefine, you know, and on the flip side, lifestyle business is, it's like a curse, you know, it's like a, a diss, you know, to say somebody has a lifestyle business. And sort of my thing was, we need to redefine lifestyle business, that every business, if you're an entrepreneur, why are you an entrepreneur? Why are you not working with somebody? You know, and everybody should be creating a lifestyle business, meaning that it fits their lifestyle. Now, if that is a venture funded company that's going to expand around the world and that's truly who you are and what you want, that's great. That's your lifestyle business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was sort of my take on it. But uh, you talk, talk to me about lifestyle and 
tell our listeners about lifestyle congruence because I'm really yeah. Interested. So uh, there's this keep up with the entrepreneur Joneses mentality. Yes, and I've always had small businesses. My biggest company ever was it was a seven million dollar run about halfway into the year when we were acquired by a Fortune 500, and uh, that's my biggest ever. That's that's a small business, and what I found is what really was motivating me to grow that and, and achieve the bigger top line numbers was because my friends that I was hanging out with had bigger numbers. And I remember you know, bragging when I had my first million dollar business, like I had a million, which admittedly was probably doing about 800,000. <laughs> right, right. Did some entrepreneurial <laughs> rounding, you know? And then my friends like, I got a $2 million business. And I'm like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I got to keep up with this. And it became this perverted top line focus. And the businesses that I ran, admittedly, were not financially healthy. Well, what lifestyle congruence is calculating what gives you comfort in your life. There's some numbers specifically, but there's also just lifestyle. So, you know, I need, just picking a random number, $100,000 a year, and it supports comfort for me. Now, we're not looking for aspiration here, just comfort. But once you know that number for your personal life as a business owner, then you say, how many sales or how much do I need in sales for my business to actually support that? And the number is often much different than the entrepreneur Jones's random number. So some businesses, you know, if you have a five or $600,000 business, you're living a perfect lifestyle. Yeah. That's amazing. And you can really maximize that business and, and the demand on you might be very low. Well, that business to me is way more impressive than a you know, $250 million business goes out of business and the stress my friend was experiencing. So the right size business will find you when you understand what you want for yourself. So Mike, this brings me to a topic that I love. You know, I don't always ask this question, but folks like you who've already really studied this and experienced it yourself. And, you know, it's always interesting to me about getting into the deeper conversation about people's just mental outlook, about their uh, limiting beliefs, about uh, sort of the internal work that has some entrepreneurs and some people in general in their lives, but some entrepreneurs be able to, you know, make the shifts to recognize some of the things you're talking about and some of them can't. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, on that? Because uh, we're so trained as entrepreneurs to get the outside information and yeah. learn skills. But I think I'm a big believer on the, uh, you know, that our, the, the level of our personal growth is totally tied into the level of our business success. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I don't know if I have too much significant insight, but the biggest insight for me when it came to uh, kind of personalization is that my business, I suspect your business, Corey, actually businesses really are the ultimate platform for self-expression. So what I did was I, I really investigated my own life and I find there's three trigger moments. And I shouldn't say ironically, interestingly, you brought up right in the beginning. So there's three moments that I think can define us and then our business can be an expression of it. So one is it's called big T trauma. Big T trauma is where there's a moment of something happens where impacts us to such a degree that we say this will never happen again to myself or others, or this defines us in a new empowering way. Now, trauma can be packaged pretty badly, you know, some kind of abuse or something or an accident. For me, it was financial loss, devastating financial loss because of just my own ignorance. And uh, it wasn't like, the, by the way, the next morning I woke up and said, I got this figured out and I got a purpose now. I went through a couple years of depression sure. and drinking way too hard, but it became the seedling for what I do. The other kind of method or launch point is, is small T's, small trauma. That's the drip campaigns against us. Like you're picked on in, in grade school for year after year. And when we finally accumulate to the point where we say, we're going to make the stance, this will never happen again. Yeah. And then the last kind of platform expression is those, those childhood dreams. And that was why it's so interesting that you brought that right away, mm. where it's like, I always wanted to be this or do this or experience this. And today's my declaration. 
And so now I'm a little bit of me thinking, wow, what if I started like a refuse company? Like maybe I should get the garbage. <laughs> um, so, so I think that is when we explore that and we really lean into that, that's our defining character. A lot of these business owners become unstoppable because I'll tell you, anyone can go into business to make money. But the second someone goes into a business because that's their love, that's their passion, that's their calling, I will bet money on that person over the other person anytime. 100%, 100%. So Mike, before I ask you my last question, what's the best place for people to find out more about you and your books and everything that uh, oh, you know, thanks, your company Corey. is all that you do? Yeah, the one place to go is fixthisnext.com. I, I set that page to have a free evaluation. So I talked about those 25 questions. We set up, you can do it online. So if you go to fixthisnext.com, it says free evaluation, take it. You don't have to download anything. I'll present it right on the screen and it'll immediately pinpoint what you need to do in your business right now. And you can get, get busy working on it. Folks, definitely check it out. If you don't know Mike's work, like I said, I'm a big fan. So, you know, go, if you, know, if you didn't write that down, it's, it'll be in the show notes, uh, easy to find. So definitely check it out. So Mike, my final question here on the podcast is, you know, my highest value in life is freedom. And that ranges from freedom from all people in the world, from oppression and that kind of stuff to the reason I'm an entrepreneur, right? Mm -hmm. I want to create freedom in my life, flexibility. I want to control yes. my destiny. So what does freedom mean to you and how does it impact the work you do? Freedom means to me is, is the ability to influence others the ability to serve others the way I feel called to do it, as opposed to feeling that I have to follow some specific protocol or approach. As I did make discoveries, the ability to share it and to be of service to people in my own unique way, to me, that's freedom because that is the ultimate form of expression, in my opinion. Love it. Mike McAllowitz, I so appreciate you having you on the show. Thank you, brother. It was fun being here, Corey. Thank you for joining me on this episode of DealQuest, where we help you understand how deal-driven growth can be your ticket to freedom. You can be a friend of the show by leaving a review on the Good Pods app, podchaser.com, or any major podcast player. Every review helps the show reach more listeners. If you're ready to take your deal-making to the next level by becoming a master negotiator, head over to Amazon or Audible and grab a copy of my best-selling book, Authentic Negotiating. Then connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know your thoughts. I'm Corey Kupfer. Until next week, wishing you the freedom and financial prosperity that I know your deal quest will bring.